0: before he settled in Haran and said to him, leave your country and relatives and come to the land that I will show you. Then he left the land of the Chaldeans and settled in Haran. From there, after his father died, God had him moved to this land in which you are now living. He didn't give him an inheritance in it, not even a foot of ground, but he promised to give it to him as a possession and to his descendants after him, even though he was childless. God spoke in this way, His descendants would be strangers in a foreign country, and they would enslave and oppress them for 400 years. I will judge the nation that they will serve as slaves, God said. After this, they will come out and worship me in this place. And so he gave Abraham the covenant of circumcision. After this, he fathered Isaac and circumcised him on the eighth day. Isaac became the father of Jacob, and Jacob became the father of the twelve patriarchs. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your Word. Thank you that you build us up in your word today, grow our faith so that we can see the way that you see and we can see you more clearly. I pray that you open our eyes to the wonders of your word today and the wonders of the story uh, that you have placed us into this story of redemption in Jesus name. amen. Amen. So today we are going to be talking about stories Now, there's a quote that I've heard, and I've heard it attributed to so many different people. I don't know who actually said it first, uh, so I'm not going to attribute it to anybody. Just know it's not mine. But the quote was, whoever tells the best story wins. Whoever tells the best story wins. And and if you think about our life and the things we uh, will sit and listen to and enjoy and even entertain ourselves with, uh, so much of it tracks back to a story. Uh, when I was trying to find who said that first, I found another quote that I thought was pretty powerful when it's talking about stories. It said that stories are powerful, that they persuade, they promote empathy, and even provoke action. That a story is better than any communication tool, because stories explain who we are, what we seek, and why. It matters. So again, you you think about what we'll watch or sit and listen to. What we're basically saying is, tell me a story. Tell me a story. And when I say story, I don't mean, you know, it has to be a lot of the things we listen to are fictionalized, but it's relatable to our real life. But what hits us more than anything are are what the ones are based on actual events, based on a true story. We really get into that tell me a story. And in Acts chapter 7, we've already met this man named Stephen. He's a part of the early church. He's serving in the church. He's one of the leaders, not one of the 12, but he's one of the leaders in in part of the ministry. And we've seen him going and preaching about Jesus and what happened. We talked about this last week. Whenever we preach Jesus, whenever we want to live a godly life in Christ, opposition arises. Paul says all who want to live a godly life in Christ will suffer persecution. Opposition arises. We shouldn't be surprised by it. We should be expecting it and ready to handle it the right way. And this is happening to Stephen. He's been falsely accused of blasphemy or saying awful things, untrue things about God. And he's been accused of this by people who were the religious leaders of the day. And they seized him and brought him in front of the Sanhedrin. And we're familiar with that, right? It's the Supreme Court of the religious group at the time. They they handled all of those types of judgment. They said, he's a blasphemer. He talks bad things about God. He talks about this Jesus Christ who we say is going to remove the law that we received from Moses. He's going to change it and twist it. And he even said he's going to destroy the temple. And Stephen is preaching this Jesus Christ who has said these things. And so he's being accused of blasphemy with basically two two points. Is that Jesus is going to change or alter the law of Moses And Jesus is gonna destroy the temple or the holy place. And so, in verse 1 of chapter 7, the high priest has heard these accusations. Stephen's standing in front of him and he asks him, Are these things true? These things that they're saying about you, are they true? And the next 55 verses are Stephen's response it's a speech, it's a sermon, it's a story in which He answers their accusations. We're going to cover it this week and next week. Part 1 is going to be His answer to the first accusation. Part 2 is going to be the answer to the second accusation and the conclusion. And we're going to cover about 40 verses today. I know what you're thinking. You may be thinking what Luke said when he was about halfway through the Walmart trip yesterday with his mother and his sister. What he said was, I shouldn't have come. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know why he wanted it. He's like, you want to go with them to Walmart? Yeah, I want to." But halfway through it, he said, I should not have come. And I said, we know, we've heard you, you know, rail on one verse for a long time. Like, but I promise we got chili. It's going to be good. We're going to make it to it. We're going to get there. So this is going to be a little bit different, but we're going to go through quite a bit of the biblical story because that's what Stephen covers when he's talking about these things and his answer to their accusations. And he tells them very eloquently their story, and we'll see in it our story as well. And what you'll see with them and what happens with us is we can forget all the parts of our story we tend to neglect the parts that are unflattering to us, you know, things that we wouldn't, you know, we just remember the good things. But He lays the whole thing bare for them. And essentially what He's going to preach to them is that the deliverance of God in their lives, in the lives of the nation of Israel, the messengers that God would send, the messengers of deliverance that God would send have always historically been rejected. They've suffered rejection at the hands and hearts and minds of the people. And so we're going to see that today. And again, part of it's going to be their story. But so, much, as I was reading this, I found so much encouragement in it for us as well. So chapter 7, starting in verse 1, we already read uh, that. But when, when he says to them at first, he said, brothers and sisters, listen. And then he invokes Abraham He invokes the name of Abraham, the father of the nation of Israel. A big name to invoke. Huge name for them in their hearts, in their minds. Abraham was a big, big deal. And he says Abraham was in Mesopotamia before he settled in Haran. And so what he's pointing out here, Mesopotamia Abraham was called by God out of a pagan family, a pagan land to be the first of God's family, God's nation of Israel here on the earth. He was the one called out to begin that. But when he called him out, he's living in Mesopotamia between two rivers, between the Tigris and the Euphrates not following God, not serving him, but God called him out of the land that he was in into the land that he would show him. And so in pointing this out, Stephen is telling them, you love Abraham. You talk great things about Abraham, but if you met Abraham in Mesopotamia, you would have rejected him. You wouldn't have ate with him. You wouldn't have talked to him. He would have been a Gentile to you. Understand God called him out of where he was and into something else. That line there in verse three, God said to Abraham, leave your country and your relatives and come into the land that I will show you. Come into the land that I will show you. This is his call to us in the gospel. This is what, what stood out to me first reading this, is he called me out of where I was, what I was born into, all I had to work with. He called me out of that and into a new land that he would give to me. I'm called out and called in to home, to a home, a place that he would make for me. In verse 4 and 5 it says, Abraham didn't have any inheritance in this land. He didn't own any of it. He said he didn't even own a foot of it when God called him. He didn't bring anything to the table. Not only did he not own any of the land that would be the promised land where the people would dwell. Even if God gave him that, you know what Abraham didn't have? He didn't have any kids. So how is he going to pass this on? Even if God gives it to him, how is he going to pass it on? You see, he's completely... And utterly empty handed when he comes to this table. I don't have the land of promise. I don't have anybody to hand it down to if you give it to me. That's how we come to Christ. We don't have any claim on that promised land. We don't have any claim on the home that our heart desires. And even if we got a piece of it, we wouldn't have any hope of keeping it in our family. Abraham even asked God that. He said, What am I going to do? You're giving me this land, but I got no kids. I got nobody to give it to. Nobody can I hand it on to. It's going to go for, I can't hold on to it. I can't keep it. And we think that about our salvation. We think that about our life in Christ if we're not careful. God, you've given me this. I can't hold it. I'm having, how do I hold on to this? He's like, I'll worry about the preservation. I'll worry about the succession. He gives him the land and make sure that it will persevere. God says, I'll make sure, I'll promise that you'll have home and it will persevere. In their story, it was the promise comes before the possession and then God makes a way that it stays with you, that it doesn't leave from you. And the, in the same story is true for us. He promises us home, a home we didn't have claim to. And then he gives us what we need to hang on to it. He gives us what we need to hang on to it. Then we get to verse six through eight. And again, we'll move through some of this a little bit fast. He talks about how they're going to enter into a land of oppression. This is when they would go into Egypt, right? He said, but even in the oppression, even though they're going to endure that, I'm going to bring them out from it. It's a promise to the prisoners. A promise to the oppressed that freedom would come. And it's our story, too. The promise of that place, the promise of home, even though we deal with oppression in this world, even though people may turn against us, he will not leave us there, but he'll make sure we get all the way home like he promised. Then we get to verses 9 through 16. I didn't read those while ago. Let's read them real quick now. The patriarchs became jealous of Joseph and sold him into Egypt. But God was with him and rescued him out of all of his troubles. He gave him favor and wisdom in the sight of Pharaoh, king of Egypt, who appointed him ruler over Egypt and over his whole household. Now a famine and great suffering over Egypt came over all of Egypt and Canaan. And our ancestors could find no food. When Jacob heard there was grain in Egypt, he sent our ancestors there the first time. The second time, Joseph revealed himself to his brothers, and Joseph's family became known to Pharaoh. Joseph invited his father Jacob and all his relatives, 75 people in all, and Jacob went down to Egypt. He and our ancestors died there, were carried back to Shechem, and were placed in the tomb that Abraham had bought for a sum of silver from the sons of Hamor in Shechem. So he does a summary of another amazing story in the book of Genesis, the story of Joseph. And we don't have time to go deep into it, but some of you already know it, right? He said, Joseph had been outlined by God. You're going to preserve the people when there's a famine that comes. You're going to preserve the people in a time of need. He's going to be one of those messengers and one of those deliverers. And what did they do to Joseph? They rejected him. He said, Abraham, you would have rejected. Joseph, the patriarchs, did reject. But even in the rejection, he was used mightily in in saving the people in spite of the rejection. And, And that's their part of the story. Our part of the story is how many times have we despised what God is doing in our life? Has something showed up and it didn't look like we thought it would look? And so we got a little frustrated about it. We got a little upset by it. We might have even said, that's not the best way to handle it. I'll do it myself. And yet, even in the rejection, God's salvation was being worked. Even when we despise the Lord's work in our life, when we hear that truth and we don't want to listen to it even when we despise that, He continues to work on our behalf. He continues to work on our behalf. I don't think we're thankful enough for that. I'm not. That He works on my behalf even when I'm being honoring. He works on my behalf even when I'm being disobedient. He works on my behalf even when I think I know better. When I deal with that and I'm growing in Him and I'm not where I should be and I'm not where I was but I have. They sold, they sold Joseph, their younger brother, into slavery. Like, we don't like him. He's bothering us. We're gonna get rid of him. They rejected him to that level. And God's like, I'm still gonna use him. I'm still gonna work in this. And I'm gonna work in it in such a way that it saves you. He's working even when we're pushing back, even when we're rejecting his correction and is leading. He doesn't stop working on our behalf. So he tells him, Stephen's telling him, you would have rejected Abraham. You did reject Joseph. So this theme continues. And then in verse 17, he starts setting up the Moses story. And so when the patriarchs, Jacob and his sons went to Egypt, because that was the only place they could find food, right? And Joseph was the number two person in the whole country. Everything was going good. And their family grew. It grew into a mighty people. But then a Pharaoh rose up who didn't know Joseph because years had passed. Joseph's died. That story's gone away. And they began to see the children of Israel prospering. And they said, we got to put a stop to this. If they keep growing like this, they're going to overtake us. And so they instituted a rule that said all of the Israelite women that give birth to a son, they have to leave the baby out so that it dies of exposure. Because we don't want them to continue to grow and reproduce. And there was a woman and her husband, the nation of Israel, and they gave birth to a baby boy. And they didn't want to leave him out. But they're coming door to door to make sure that it happens. And so what she did is she built a basket and she put him into the Nile. If he's going to die, I don't want to see it. God, you, you deal with this. You look after him. And he floats up to Pharaoh's daughter. Little baby in a basket floating in the river. And she picks him out. She's like, this is awesome. There's just babies out here. He's so cute. I'm going to take him home. And she does, and she raises him as her own. So Moses is raised up the first 40 years of his life in Pharaoh's house and everything that entails, which would have been awesome. Probably the best house to grow up in as far as material things in the world at that time. You'd have trouble arguing that there was another one. And so that's where it says that as this time... As the time was approaching to fulfill the promise God had made to Abraham, what? That even though my people have been in Egypt, I'm going to bring them back. I'm going to bring them to the promised land, the promise of home. The people flourished and multiplied in Egypt until a different king who did not know Joseph ruled over Egypt. He dealt deceitfully with our race and oppressed our ancestors by making them abandon their infants outside so they wouldn't survive. At this time Moses was born and he was beautiful in God's sight. He was cared for in his father's home for three months when he was put outside. Pharaoh's daughter adopted and raised him as her own. So Moses was educated in all wisdom of the Egyptians and was powerful in his speech and his actions. So Moses is born into turmoil, but born under promise, and he ended up in Pharaoh's house. Now in their story, you would see Moses had everything that he could have wanted, but he still wasn't fulfilled. Something was still missing there. He grew up in Pharaoh's house. And our story, our part of that is we can have everything that the world has to offer. You can run headfirst and do as much as you can get out there. And you will feel more and more empty. Because that's not what it is that fills us up. Mm -hmm. That's not what it is that fills us up. Without home, that home with him, everything else is temporary and lacking. And so Moses starts to deal with that, and we see him deal with that starting in verse 23. When he was 40 years old, he decided to visit his own people, the Israelites. When he saw one of them being mistreated, he came to his rescue and avenged the oppressed man by striking down the Egyptian. He assumed his people would understand that God would give them deliverance through him, but they did not understand. The next day, he showed up while they were fighting and tried to reconcile them peacefully, saying, Men and men, you are brothers, why are you mistreating? One another, But the one who was mistreating his neighbor pushed Moses aside saying, who appointed you a ruler and a judge over us? Do you want to kill me the same way you killed the Egyptian yesterday? When he heard this, Moses fled and became an exile in the land of Midian, where he became the father of two sons. So he's been 40 years in Pharaoh's house. He's heard, you know, he's met his family along the way. Interesting part of that story. His family of origin. And he knows I'm not an Egyptian. I'm an Israelite. I just happened to grow up as an Egyptian. And he goes to visit his people and he sees one of his brothers, the nation of Israel, one of of his uh, community that he was born into being mistreated by an Egyptian. Probably beat on pretty good. And he rises up to defend him and kills the Egyptian who's abusing him. And then he hurried up and hid the body. And then the next day he goes back and there's two Israelites arguing with one another. And he's like, y'all come down. What, what are you doing? And they're like, who are you to tell me what to do? Who has appointed you judge and, and ruler over us? will you going to kill us like you did the Egyptian. And then Moses knew, hey, words got out. I killed an Egyptian. I got to get out of here. And so he flees to the wilderness where he would be for 40 years. So you see in there he had the desire for helping his people, a desire for right, right things, good things. We have desires on the inside of us for good, good things. But the best we can do in our own self, our own strength with our own two hands works death. It works death. God had put a good desire on the inside of him. Moses is trying to do it by himself. Why? Because that's what he learned when he was in Egypt. And when we try to do it on our own, it only works death. So he runs into the wilderness. You got to think that there's some uh, hopelessness there. When we try to do life on our own, it always ends up in hopelessness. It didn't work. It's not going to work. And that's what Moses is dealing with. He's without hope, but see, God's not done. God's not done. We strive with the desires he's put on the inside of us, trying to do it on our own. And we can't, and we learn that. But see, he's still not done, because he who, is, who has promised is faithful. That's what it says in the book of Hebrews. He who has promised is faithful. So Moses, there's 40 more years. He was 40 years growing up in Pharaoh's house. Now he's 40 years in the wilderness. Verse 30, after 40 years had passed... An angel appeared to him in the wilderness of Mount Sinai in the flame of a burning bush. When Moses saw it, he was amazed at the sight. As he was approaching to look at it, the voice of the Lord came, I am the God of your ancestors, the God of Abraham, of Isaac, and of Jacob. Moses began to tremble and dare not look. The Lord said to him, Take off your sandals from your feet, because the place where you are standing is holy ground. I've certainly seen the oppression of my people in Egypt. I've heard their groaning and have come down to set them free. And now come, I will send you to Egypt. This Moses, this is Stephen talking again to the people. This Moses, whom you rejected when they said, who appointed you a ruler and a judge? This one God sent as a ruler and a deliverer through the angel who appeared to him in that bush. This man led them out and performed wonders and signs in the land of Egypt, at the Red Sea, and in the wilderness for 40 years. God spoke and said, I see what's going on. I hear the cries of my people, and I'm going to deliver. And what Stephen said happened was they rejected Moses. Remember, they would have rejected Abraham. They did reject Joseph. He said they rejected Moses. The accusation that's in front of Stephen in the court at the Sanhedrin is Jesus, preaching Jesus is going to twist up the law and mess it up. You preaching Jesus is going to compromise our history, the law that we inherited from Moses. And so they're saying we reject Jesus. And Stephen tells them, Abraham you would have rejected, Joseph the patriarch rejected, Moses? He's like, y'all want to talk about Moses? Our ancestors rejected him on a regular basis. Regularly they were rejecting Moses. Over and over they rejected what you now accept. And God kept working on their behalf in spite of their disobedience. God kept working on their behalf in spite of their disobedience. And again, I'm so thankful for that. I'm so thankful that He he is still working on my behalf in my past disobedience, in my disobedience now, and in whatever disobedience I'm in in the future. He's still working on my behalf. He is still working in spite of their disobedience because He who promised is Faithful. That's in Hebrews 10. He who promised is faithful. He's not working because I'm faithful. I'm learning how to be faithful. I'm growing into the image of Jesus Christ by the power of the spirit. But he is the one who is faithful. And Stephen says, Moses, you rejected Moses. He said, but look what God did through him, even though you had rejected him. Look what God did through Moses, even though you had rejected him. Your rejection of him didn't negate the power of God to deliver and do what he had promised. He's telling them the truth about their own story. And then he goes further. He goes further in verse 37. He said, This is the Moses who said to the Israelites, God will raise up for you a prophet like me from among your brothers and sisters. Peter quoted that in his sermon too. He is the one who was in the assembly in the wilderness with the angel who spoke to him on Mount Sinai and with our ancestors. Talking about Moses, he received living oracles to give to us. Talking about the law. Our ancestors were unwilling to obey him. Instead, instead of obeying the word of God that came through Moses, instead they pushed him aside and in their hearts turned back to Egypt. They told Aaron, make us gods who will go before us. As, as for this Moses who brought us out of the land of Egypt, we don't even know what's happened to him. They even made a calf in those days, offered sacrifice to the idols. Some of y'all know that story. And were celebrating what their hands had made. God turned away and gave them up to worship the stars of heaven, as it is written in the book of the prophets. House of Israel, did you bring me offerings and sacrifices for 40 years in the wilderness? You took up the tent of Moloch and the star of your God, Raphon, the images that you made to worship. So I will send you to exile in Babylon. He's like, Moses, this is Moses. This is what happened when Moses was leading the children of Israel. He's like, y'all can't act like y'all didn't reject him. We've got the story. It's written down. Do y'all not remember what happened at Sinai? You're talking about how you're so concerned for the law that God handed down. Do you remember what happened when he handed it down? Do you remember what our ancestors did? He said, remember what Moses said. He said, there's another prophet coming He said, but remember our story. Y'all know we've always had rebellious hearts. You know, we've always dealt treacherously when it comes to Yahweh. We've always done this. Why are we like this? But you can't deny that we are like this. We've always had a rebellious heart. In their story, they had the leadership that God had put down in front of them to deliver them from the nation to get them home, to lead them home. And it says they rejected him, pushed him aside. Instead, looking back to Egypt, they worshipped things that they could control instead. They worshipped things that they could make with their own two hands. Why? Because they can't tell me what to do. I made it. How can it tell me what to do? When I worship God and I follow him, who's God? He is. Who's in charge? He is. Who's Lord? He is. And so they turned aside from that, the God who created everything, to a God that they created. Now come on, y'all see the problem with that, right? And yet, we do the same thing. We are tempted to do the same thing in our heart to grab onto something down here at a lower level and say, Well, if I could just get a little bit more of this, then I'd be good. If I could just get a little bit more of that, if I could just get a little bit further down this road, then I would be good. And we start looking back to the old way of doing things before he brought us out of Egypt, before he brought us out of our sin. And we look back to the things that we can control. And we think all of a sudden that this time it's going to work, even though we've got thousands of years of history to show that it doesn't. Because what does it work? It works death. He's reminding them. That they rejected Moses. They worshiped things that they could control instead. And what's our part of that story? Don't look back towards Egypt. Don't look back towards what God has brought you out of thinking it's going to somehow move you forward now because it didn't move you forward then. He had to come and save you out of darkness when you were without strength. He had to come and save you from that. So how is this going to help you now when it didn't help you then? Right? Don't look back to Egypt. Don't reject and neglect this great salvation that we find in Jesus Christ. Amen. That promise of home that he sowed into our heart. He sowed the need for that home into your heart. And that's what you're trying to lay hold of when you're seeking and raging towards all these other things. That's what the children of Israel were trying to do. They're like, we, they wanted to get home. They didn't want to follow God. We cannot neglect or reject the great salvation that we find in Jesus Christ. Amazing story of Moses. I found another quote, again, not sure who to attribute this one to, but I think it was Moody, old preacher, talking about Moses. He said, for the first year, first 40 years of Moses' life, he thought he was somebody. Why? Because he was living in Pharaoh's house. First 40 years he thought he was somebody. Next 40 years, where was he? He was in the wilderness. Next 40 years, he thought he was nobody. And then in his last 40 years, he found out what God could do with a nobody. The first 40, he thought he was somebody. thought he was going to be able to do it on his own. Second, 40 years God's working in his life and in his heart and in his circumstances. Next 40 years, he thought he was nobody. He thought it was over. And in the last 40 years, he found out what God could do with a nobody if he was willing to listen and obey. And Stephen is preaching this to them. Again, imagine how this would have gone. you'll see how it goes over. It doesn't end well for Stephen in their eyes. He's telling them, y'all make these claims and you reject the truth. We've always thought we knew better. And how does that keep working out? Abraham wouldn't have been welcomed at our table. And yet God called him. The patriarchs rejected Joseph. And yet God still used him to preserve life. And Moses, they rejected Moses more than anybody. Again, on a regular basis. And yet you want to tell me that you don't need Jesus. That's what he's telling them. He's like, this is what you do. When God's moving and and moving in deliverance in your life, this is what you do. You always kick back. You always fight. Why? Because the preaching of Jesus requires one of two things. Repentance or resistance. And repentance is humility. Resistance, we can still hang on to that pride. All about control, thinking we know better. And again, he's asking them, how's it working? How did it work when you rejected Moses? How did it work when they rejected Joseph? How how is it working? This is not just like that. This is bigger than that. So we're finishing up because it's almost chilly time. We're going to hit the, the second part of his sermon and then the conclusion as he becomes the first Christian martyr next week. The accusation against him, the first, one of the accusations, one of the two, was that he's preaching Jesus, which will pervert the law. And his answer is, y'all rejected Moses. Y'all rejected the law. And now you're acting like it's the best thing you've ever heard. This has always been our story, us and them, because it's the same, because we're all people. You can see our tendencies in their life because we've always been this away. While we were evil and rebellious and prideful, God Almighty was good and faithful and interceding on our behalf. While we were still in sin. He was working on our behalf. He called us out of the land that we were in and called us into the land that only he could give us. He gave us the promise of hope, even though we had dealt with oppression. We had dealt with being enslaved to sin. They were slaves in Egypt. We were slaves to sin, but he made provision for deliverance. And not just that we would be delivered, but that that deliverance would persevere. That it wouldn't stop. That it would persevere. And we see that in our sanctification now. He's still delivering me. He brought me out of that land. I'm on my way home. I've got a lot of home in my heart. But he's still delivering me day by day as I walk with him. Sanctifying me as I'm headed home. And so the warning that I find there for me is children of Israel, what were they doing? They're on their way home. They're following God. What did they do? They looked back. They looked back to the old ways. They looked back to gods that were under their control. Things that they made with their hands instead of the God who had made them. And they decided they would serve them instead. Doesn't work out good. Didn't work out good for them. Doesn't work out good for us. Don't turn back. Because he who promised is faithful. And what do we do? What do we do? If we know, we know I've rejected him. I've kicked back when he was trying to help me, when he's trying to save me, when he was doing nothing but good for me, that rebellious heart, that streak on the inside of me was just running. What, what do I do? What can I do? That's what they asked Peter when he was preaching Jesus, wasn't it? Like, what, what do we do? Because you're telling us the truth. We hear it. We know. We've rejected Him. What do we do? What do we do? What did He say? Repent. Repent. Turn back. Turn back where? Towards Him. Turn back towards Him so that your sins could be wiped out. Blotted out. Here, erased. They didn't have erasers erased, repent, turn back so that your sins would be erased. That rejection can be erased. And then what happens next? He said, then times of refreshing will come from the throne of God. When your soul is dried out, thirsty, famished, because you've been eating all this stuff, but it hadn't been bringing you any nutrients. It hadn't been bringing you any strength. He said, repent, turn back. Those sins be blotted out in Jesus Christ and then times of refreshing will come. He said, I've got something you can drink. You'll never thirst again. It's different from this other stuff. It's different from everything else that you've known. And we head home. We head home with him. Stephen told him, Abraham, Joseph, Moses, they were all rejected by the people. And for all of them, there was a separation from who they thought that they were. Right. Abraham was called out, come out from your family. Joseph was removed from his family by his family. Moses, same thing. What they thought their identity was. They thought that's who they were. They were separated from that and then called into what God had designed for them to be. And the same thing happens with us. He separates that old nature, that old man from us, that old way of doing things, what we used to identify with. He he, he, he changes us into we have no personality. That's what I'm saying. But that's not the most important part about us. That's not our identity any longer. He separates us from that. And our identity is what? Christ in us. The hope of glory. What he's called us to be. Amen. Let's pray. Father, thank you that a sermon that was preached 2000 years ago can be alive to us today. Thank you for this man in the book of Acts named Stephen, even though he didn't spell it right. Thank you, Lord, that we hear those words that the spirit spoke into his heart that he let fly out of his mouth in truth and righteousness so that the people might hear. I thank you that that same truth resonates in our hearts today. That we'll see the places of life where we rejected you, where we fought against you, where we tried to do it on our own, and where we still do that. We know we still do that from time to time. God forgive us. We repent of that. And I thank you that you give grace to the humble. You give grace to those who would say, I apologize to you, sir. I should have listened. I should have stayed with you instead of drifting off. When things got good, I drifted off. When things got tough, I reached back to the old way of doing things. God, forgive me. Blot that out and refresh me from your throne. I want to get back with you. I want to get back on the way home. And it's just that powerful of a statement that he's right there. Thank you that you never leave us. You never forsake us. And even in our honoringness, you're working on our behalf. We can look back and see how you worked on our behalf. Even in our sin, we can look back and see how you worked on our behalf. In our immaturity, in our, in our lack of knowledge, we can see how you worked on our behalf. And Lord, we know that you are not yet done. We have not yet exhausted all that you are. And Lord, we're seeing more day by day. Thank you that as we go today, we leave in peace and unity together with one another. God bless our time together as we get around the table with our brothers and sisters in Christ and we enjoy a meal together. We thank you for that. We thank you for the blessing of having warm food set in front of us and being able to enjoy that together with your people. I thank you that you bless that time. Bless this week as we go into it, that we would be aware of you, what you're doing, where you're leading and what you still are working on in us. And I thank you that we won't despise it, we won't reject it, but we'll enjoy it. And we love you and thank you, in Jesus' name, amen.